Jerusalem has been a central player on the world scene for thousands of years. The Bible talks about Jerusalem from Genesis to Revelation. The word Jerusalem means city of peace. It was meant to be a light to the world. And we'll look at that in just a, a very briefly in Deuteronomy 4. God gave his laws to Israel as an infant nation in Deuteronomy there. And said for them to live by those laws and to be a light and an example. Jerusalem is called the holy city. The city of Zion. City of the great king. The city of David. How has Jerusalem been viewed on the political and historical world scene? I'll just read a couple of quotes here. James Barclay wrote, Jerusalem has been the theater of the most memorable and stupendous events that have ever occurred in the annals of the world. It's been said that Jerusalem is the center of the world's past and future history. And it's been labeled as the world's most contested city. And you can actually type that into Google and that will be, you will see Jerusalem. I think labeled that because of a book that was written. How do the three main religions of the world view Jerusalem? The Midrash, Jewish, Jewish Midrash writings express ten measures of beauty descended upon the world. Nine were given to Jerusalem and one to the rest of the world. Islamic writings of a 7th century ruler record one day in Jerusalem is like a thousand days. One month in Jerusalem is like a thousand months and one year like a thousand years. Dying there is like dying in the first sphere of heaven. And a 4th century Christian theologian, Jerome, said about Jerusalem, As Judea is exalted above all other provinces, so is this city exalted above all Judea. Now we know, again in this age, while it's called the city of peace, it has been anything but the city of peace. For millennia, it's been disputed the world's most contested city, as, it, as I mentioned. Israel, and specifically uh, Jerusalem, the history has been anything but an example to the world that, that it was supposed to be, that God desired for it to be. Let's see what Jesus Christ said in Matthew 23. We'll turn to Matthew 23 and verse 37. Matthew 23, 37. Matthew 23, verse 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets, God sent the prophets to warn, to teach, to show what they, what they need to do. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as, hen, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings I wanted to take care of you. I wanted to protect you. I wanted to, to care for you. But you were not willing. 
See, your house is left to you desolate. In effect, you've brought about your own ruin. Let's turn to Ezekiel 22, which we'll actually spend a little more time in Ezekiel 22 in the sermon here. But again, uh, the first couple verses we'll, we'll look at just before we get into the body of the sermon. Ezekiel 22, and we'll start in verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Now, son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Not the city of peace, but the bloody city. Yes, show her all her abominations. They say, again, Ezekiel 22, now we're in verse 3. Then say, thus says the Lord God, the city sheds blood in her own midst, that her time may come. And she makes idols within herself to defile herself, this city that was to be God's, that was to be holy. And listen to this and think about the way the world views the city now. Verse 4, and you have become guilty by the blood which you have shed. And you have defiled yourself with idols which you have made, and you have caused your days to draw near, and you have and have come to the end of your years. And bottom of verse four. Therefore, I have made you a reproach to the nations, and a mockery to all countries. And boy, that is what we see when we look at this city. And verse five, those near. And those far from you will mock you as infamous and full of tumult. So in this split sermon, we will briefly survey the spiritual history of Jerusalem using the Bible as well as the historic record. Again, we'll use largely... Ezekiel 22 here, as this is a a scathing accusation of the city, as as well as some specific historic examples. These examples, though, I'll just mention, are not meant to be to, to correlate directly with anything we read necessarily in, in Ezekiel 22. Just to illustrate, though, they are just to illustrate the accuracy of God's word regarding Jerusalem, the principles that are highlighted here. So the title of the message today is a brief survey of the spiritual history of Jerusalem. A brief survey of the spiritual history of Jerusalem. I mentioned before, I think in a, in a sermon uh, several months ago, that I finished this book uh, in right before the feast time. It's the title of this book is um, Jerusalem: The Biography. It is written by a gentleman named Simon Sabag Montefiore. Montefiore is, um, his family is a kind of a, a wealthy uh, family and had a big part in the original part of the Zionist movement and so forth. Um, but anyways, fantastic book, very, very comprehensive. It systematically chronicles the history of Jerusalem from the time of the Canaanites and the Jebusites through the time of David and ancient Israel, through 
Judaism, Christianity, Islam, the Crusades, the Mamluks, the Ottomans, the British Empire's involvement in Europe's involvement, and finally the Zionist movement and the establishment of Israel, even down to the past decade or so. And so, anyways, it, it gives this really good overview of the city. We'll read several excerpts from it today as we, as we look at, compare it to what God says about Israel. The excerpts that we'll read from the book are just simple representative examples that are characteristic of what has happened time and time and time again within the city of Jerusalem. Regardless of what century it was and regardless of the rulers, this city, as we'll see, has been filled with corruption and perversion on a level that, as God lays out, as we'll see here in Ezekiel 22 and in other places as well. And just for clarity, I'm not saying uh, at all that anything we read is any direct fulfillment, again, of uh, what we see in Scripture here. Rather, I just want to highlight what the historic record points out uh, over and over again. And we'll be reading concise examples of events that can help bring to life the truth of what God has said about Jerusalem. So before we uh, get into, and again, we'll, we'll, our next section that we'll read about here, or read from, is verse 6 of Ezekiel 22. But before we get into that, I want to give an understanding of something that's highlighted uh, throughout the book, and of course, it's it's a city that is revered by the main three religions of the world, including billions of people. People, pilgrims who go to Jerusalem, go with visions of purity and grandeur. And they go there because they want to go and worship God, regardless, really, of the religion that they're a part of. They go there, again, with these, these ideas and that they are going to experience holiness on earth when they go. But when they arrive, they are gravely disappointed. And this is, this is written about many, many times in this book, this experience. These pilgrims from around the world, millions and millions and millions and probably billions over time that have gone there for the purpose to worship. But when they arrive, they are gravely disappointed and left with feelings of extreme emptiness. Because the ideas of what they thought they would experience and what they actually found were on opposite spectrums, as we'll see. This has been such a common problem and has been happening for millennia, as is described again many times throughout the book. It is so common that it even has a medical name. I'll, I'll read an excerpt from the book here. Here's a specific example, and then we'll, we'll look at the, the, the medical name. 
The specific example is of a novelist, Nikolai Gogol. It says, Nikolai Gogol arrived in a quest for spiritual ease and divine inspiration, going there for divine inspiration. The visit was disastrous. He spent a single night praying beside the sepulcher, the holy sepulcher, that's the oldest church there in Jerusalem, or labeled the oldest church. It was built by Constantine in 326 A.D. Yet he found it filthy and vulgar. The gaudiness of the holy sites and the barrenness of the hills crushed him. He said, I have never been so little content with the state of my heart as in Jerusalem and afterwards. On his return, he refused to talk about Jerusalem, manically destroyed his manuscripts, then starved himself to death. The book continues. The special madness of Jerusalem has been called Jerusalem fever. But in the 1930s, so even as late as the 1930s, called Jerusalem fever, It was recognized as Jerusalem Syndrome, a psychotic decompensation related to religious excitement induced by proximity to to the holy places of Jerusalem. And get this, decompensation, what does that word mean? Decompensation is the failure to generate effective psychological coping mechanisms in response to stress, resulting in personality disturbance or disintegration especially that which causes relapse in schizophrenia. The British Journal of Psychiatry in 2000, the year 2000, diagnosed this demented disappointment as Jerusalem Syndrome Subtype 2. Those who come with magical ideas of Jerusalem's healing powers, such as the writer Gogol. So very powerful. These people come with an idea of purity, magic, holiness. And we'll we'll see some examples of what's found there, or what has been described. Let's look at Ezekiel 22 again, and verse 6. We'll start there. says, look, the princes of Israel, each one has used his power to shed blood in you. In you they have made light of father and mother. In your midst they have oppressed the stranger. In you they have mistreated the fatherless and the widow. Again, wickedness and perversion. You have despised the holy one, the, or my holy things, and profane my Sabbaths. In you, men who slander cause bloodshed. In you are those who eat on the mountains and the high places. In your midst, they commit lewdness. Again, perversion. In you, un- <clears throat> men uncover their father's nakedness, and they violate women who are set apart in their impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife, and it goes on and on. Here's uh, an example I'll read uh, from page 404 and 405 from the book here. Just again, simple one simple example that helps highlight some of what we see here. The visiting pilgrims, again, those who come from, from all around to come visit. It says, many of the pilgrims live in Jerusalem in a manner that corresponds neither to the holiness of the place nor to the aim of their original pilgrimage. 
falling prey to various temptations. The booze is everywhere, but worse, the promiscuity. Pilgrims were easily procured by the rulers of Jerusalem for their parties, and some stayed behind as concubines. Nuns mustn't travel there. It's very hard for the girls. They are forced to stay longer. The temptation is great. Many of them become concubines and women of the markets. And this has been, this was a, a, a problem that happened over and over throughout Jerusalem's history that is documented. It says fallen priests, it continues, fallen priests end their Jerusalem days in drunkenness, religious hysteria, and corpse washing. Let's turn to verse 27 of Ezekiel, verse 27 and 28, and we'll skip around a little bit here. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood. Wolves, like you think about wolves in sheep's clothing, to destroy people and to get dishonest gain. Again, these are the complaints against the city, at least during Ezekiel's time, but it stands until Christ returns. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. I'll read an excerpt from page 237. It says, During the 12th century A.D., the so-called holy places throughout Jerusalem were intensely theatrical, in which every technique was used to heighten public feelings through display. Where Jerusalem's shrines resembled stage sets, and were constantly remodeled and improved to intensify the effect. On Holy Saturday every year around Easter, Jerusalemites and pilgrims pack into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre to witness the Holy Fire. So the Holy Fire, you raise your hand if you've heard of the Holy Fire. The Holy Fire, okay. Just for clarity, we don't believe in the Holy Fire. <laughs> God's Church has nothing to do with the Holy Fire. The Holy Fire happens at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre every uh, around Easter. It is a false miracle that happens uh, at the church there. Uh, it's happened now every uh, year for 1,200 years, for about the last 1,200 years. Christian pilgrims who go there believe that Jesus Christ himself returns back to his tomb and miraculously lights a lamp and then the pilgrims who come there, they, they have candles that are lit from that, and then that, they bring that back to their home places, leaders will, and then set the, the lamps um, at their home churches. They'll light uh, those lamps at their home churches when they go back to their home church. But it is a big, <clears throat> big event. It has long, been, long since been exposed as fraudulent, and so when the when this fire erupts 
what at least what was found, I don't remember the, the number of years ago, but I mean it was it was centuries ago. The the monks would line with a flammable liquid the the chandeliers or the various lamps around the place. And of course they're giving credit to this miracle that happens. Oh, but it's actually a monk with a spark that he's got and the flammable liquid, liquid, and it lights it up. And, of course, they tell everybody who's there that it was the miracle of Jesus uh, coming back to his tomb to celebrate his resurrection. <clears throat> so it's false and lie. We'll just quickly look at verse 12 and uh, 13. We'll keep in mind what we just read about the false Visions, divining lies, saying God has done this when God hasn't done this, that type of thing. Verse 12 of Ezekiel 22, and you they take bribes to shed blood. You take usury and increase, and you have made profit from your neighbors by extortion. And you have forgotten me, says the Lord God. Behold, therefore I beat my fists at the dishonest profit which you have made, and at the bloodshed which you have which has been in your midst. <clears throat> I just want to read about the holy fire or one <clears throat> experience recorded by one observer. It's on page 344 and 345. It says the holy uh, it says the crowds packed the church of the holy sepulcher ready for the holy fire. The behavior of the pilgrims was riotous in the extreme. At one point, almost in a state of nudity, dancing around in frantic gestures, yelling and screaming as if possessed, while three monks played crazy fiddles and women started to ululate with a very peculiar shrill cry. Ibrahim the Red, this uh, leader at the time, was seated. Darkness fell. The patriarch, in magnificent procession, entered the aticule, the, the place uh, the, where they say that Jesus' <clears throat> tomb was. It says the, the crowd awaited the divine spark. They saw the flicker, then the flame of the miracle, which was passed on to the pilgrim. Which pilgrim? We read about bribes and so forth. This is how it is. This is the way it's gone. Which pilgrim? the pilgrim who had paid the highest sum for this honor. But a furious battle broke out for the fire. Pilgrims fell to the floor in ecstatic faints. Blinding smoke filled the church. Abraham tried to leave the church but could not move. His guards, attempting to beat a way through the crowd, started a stampede. By the time they got as far as the place where the virgin stood during the crucifixion, the stones felt soft under his feet. There was actually a great heap of dead bodies on which I trod. All dead. Many of them quite black with suffocation. And forgive me. All Others all bloody and covered with brains and entrails. Trodden to pieces by the crowd. Soldiers with their bayonets killed a number of fainting wretches. The walls splattered with blood and brains of men who had been felled like oxen. 
The frenzied stampede became a desperate and savage fight for survival. Ibrahim only just escaped with his life, fainting several times until his guards drew their swords and sliced a path through human flesh. 400 pilgrims died in that event. And that's one event of various examples that happened in these, quote, holy sites. They're not holy sites, but they are regarded that way by the world. Let's go to verse 23. Uh, let's see, verse Yeah, verse 23. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. Verse 25. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure. So these are the leaders that are being condemned here. They have taken treasure and precious and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. I'll read an excerpt on page 416 and 417. Again, regarding the wicked leaders, tearing the prey, devouring the people, the oppression of the poor. And now this uh, quote here about the perversion of the leaders. While the people suffer. Says leading families enjoyed a life of feverish pleasure. While Jerusalemites just struggled to survive the calamities of war. The poverty was such that young prostitutes. Now listen to this. The, the poverty was such that young prostitutes. Many of them charging just two piastres a trick. Okay. The equivalent in U.S. dollars, the best I could identify, in today's money, that these prostitutes were, quote, turning a trick for, was less than one penny in today's dollars. Less than one penny. It reminds you of the scripture that talks about she's not like any normal harlot where it talks about normally a harlot gets paid for what she does. But it says you, you pay to commit your vile acts. Continuing, it says women even sold their babies. Old men and women were bloated with hunger on their faces and all over their bodies, slime, filth, disease, and sores. But one of the elites at that same time that all of this type of thing was happening that was in in that particular documented uh, time period, here's what one of the elites wrote. I only went home to change my clothes, sleeping in a different house every night, my body totally exhausted from drinking and merrymaking. In the morning, I picnicked with with the Jerusalem notable families. Next, I'm holding an orgy with thugs and gangsters in the alleys of the old city. 
just highlighting the differences and the oppression. Verse 29. Verse 29. The people of the land have used oppressions. Again, some of the same ideas here. Committed robbery and mistreated the poor and needy. And they wrongfully oppress the stranger. Just one point as the book, um, toward the end of the book, um, I'll just read one quote. I don't, I didn't uh, catch the page number on it, but um, just highlighting some of this, and then we'll we'll look at one example uh, from actually Jesus Christ's time regarding the suppression of the stranger. The quote from the book says. For the most part, it has been neglected and slum-ridden. Its major industry is the fleecing of pious tourists. That's been the major industry. And let's go to John 2. John 2. And verse 13. John 2 and verse 13, and we'll read through through 16. Jesus saw this himself in his own day, and this has been happening and happening and happening for millennia. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, John 2 verse 13, and Jesus was went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. This is what he saw there. And when he had made a whip of cords, he took time. This was sitting on his mind about what was happening in what otherwise should have been a truly holy place. With the sheep and the oxen and poured out and I'm sorry, and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changers uh, and, and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. He saw the wickedness and the preying on all of these people that would come from all around. At that time, the Jews coming to worship God and being taken full advantage of. You know, there was a study, I'm sorry, an archaeological find that was found a few years ago. An archaeologist uncovered a massive dump on the outskirts of the old walled city of Jerusalem. Dating revealed that the dump was used between uh, the start of King Herod's reign in 37 B.C. until uh, the Great Revolt in 66 A.D. So it was right during the time that Jesus Christ um, turned over these, these tables here. 
and that Jesus Christ witnessed everything that was just mentioned. It says, so the, so the representatives from distant uh, Jewish communities would gather money from their community, and they would go then to Jerusalem. It's difficult to bring those animals, so they would go with money, because, boy, they knew they could buy them there at the markets in Jerusalem. And they would go to buy the animals for slaughter. Quote, um, in this article, it says, quote, This fueled the economy in Jerusalem. The merchants made a lot of money and the whole and the city prospered. So the focus should have been the worship of God, but it wasn't. It was about greed, about money, and about extorting the masses who were coming. Again, with ideas of coming to worship God. Go back to Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22. And we'll look at verses 26 and 27. Ezekiel 22, verses 26 and 27. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. And they have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy and have made no, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And my Sabbaths, um, I'm sorry, the clean and the unclean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that they profaned, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes, verse 27, in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people and to get dishonest gain. Now, uh, again, just looking at the profaned, the profaned holy things, the, that would be, of course, you know, the temple and so forth and the things there that are there now, like the holy sepulcher and, uh, of course, the, the mosque that are there. None of that is holy at all. But again, viewed that way by the world for sure. I want to read a, an excerpt from page 355 regarding another event that took place in the Holy Sepulchre. Just thinking about just the perversion, wickedness, and the evil that has taken place there and has been documented there. It says, on one good Friday around Easter... The monks were not just priming their incense burners. They smuggled in weapons and daggers. Now, inside the Holy Sepulchre, there are the different denominations of, uh, of Christians that are in there. Um, and they each have, they've been at each other's throats for centuries, if not millennia. Since they smuggled in weapons and daggers secreting them behind pillars and under their robes. The question they had in their mind, who would hold their service first there in the Holy Sepulchre? Suddenly, two sides were fighting with every weapon they could improvise from the ecclesiastical paraphernalia at their disposal. They wielded crucifixes at one another, candlesticks and lamps until the soldiers stopped the fighting 
but 40 lay dead around the holy sepulcher. Just the level of disdain for even what, again, we understand. This is not, none of that is holy. But what is regarded, at least in their own minds, as holy. In this city that so many have looked up to. I'd like to shift our focus on summing, <clears throat> summing things up and ultimately what we can look forward to. The major world religions who have occupied the city on and off over the millennia have been filled with violence and corruption and perversion. I'll read a couple of uh, just quotes from the book again, page 440, just to help highlight some of this and kind of sum things up. Page 440. It is impossible to imagine a place with more blasphemy. Page 389. The angry face of Yahweh is brooding over the hot rocks which we have seen which has seen more holy murder, rape and plunder than any other place on this earth. Page 389 again. It's not easy to be a Jerusalemite. A thorny path runs alongside its joys. The great are small inside the old city. Popes, patriarchs, kings all remove their crowns. It is the city of the great king, or the king of kings. And earthly kings and lords are not its masters. No human can ever possess Jerusalem. And another quote, this is by the German chancellor in 1930, Hermann Müller. He said, I know of no one who would be a good high commissioner of Palestine, Palestine, except God. I doubt he understood how right he was. So Jerusalem, uh, there, there is only one solution. And the answer is not in the hands of men. I want to read this poem. I, I may have read this in a, a previous sermon, so forgive me, but I feel like it does highlight uh, in the context of some of the examples that we, we've read and you know, what we see in Scripture. It's from page 522. It was by Nizar Kabani, a Syrian diplomat and writer. The poem says, O Jerusalem, Fragrant with prophets, the shortest path between earth and heaven. A beautiful child with burned fingers and downcast eyes. O Jerusalem, city of sorrow, a tear lingering in your eye. Who will halt the aggression? Who will wash your bloody walls? O Jerusalem, my love, tomorrow the lemon trees will blossom. And the olive trees will rejoice. Your eyes will dance 
and your children will play again. Let's turn to Isaiah 4. Isaiah 4. And read verse 3. Isaiah 4 and verse 3. And it shall come to pass, this is about the renewal of Zion, as it mentions in the the heading there, uh, heading of verse 2 there. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Let's turn to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, this city that that should have known better, this city that should have been a, a light on a hill, There is hope for the city. And we look forward to that time. Isaiah 40 and verse 1. says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Listen. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A city that should have known better. And out of that city, let's turn to Zechariah 8. God will make a city that all the nations of the world will come up to learn how to worship God. Learn how to worship Him the way He wants in His kingdom at the return of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Zechariah 8. Zechariah 8. Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with a great zeal. With great fervor, Zechariah 8 and verse 2, With great fervor I am zealous for her. Thus says the Eternal, I will return to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, not the city of sorrow, the city of truth. The mountain of the eternal of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the eternal of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. A different picture than what has been documented for millennia. And God has accused Jerusalem of the perversions and wickedness. This is a different picture. 
Verse 8, I will bring them back and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Jesus Christ will return and establish peace and truth. An article by Dr. Winnale entitled The Future of Jerusalem. He wrote, the only one who will bring us world peace is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He is coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Jerusalem will be prosperous and flourishing when the Messiah rules the world from Jerusalem. All nations will submit to the new world government. This will not be a government in the hands of selfish human beings. The new government will be a world-ruling divine kingdom, the kingdom of God. The city of Jerusalem will finally live up to its name, City of Peace, because the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will actually dwell there. Only then will the whole world begin to experience genuine peace. And of course, we know after the millennium that the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven and be established. So in today's sermon, we've briefly surveyed the spiritual history of Jerusalem of the last couple thousand years, which we've found no different than the Jerusalem described in Ezekiel 22. As the world draws to a close, not just Jerusalem, but the world becomes worse and worse, We can look forward to the time when we can help scrub it down and make it clean the way God desired it from the beginning.